The following is a chapter reading of the Worm Audiobook Project. Please support the original author at parahumans.wordpress.com or by donating to his Patreon at patreon.com wildbow. Interlude 16. Heavy footsteps carried him through a crowd of people who were having the worst days of their lives. There were doctors and nurses who might never be able to return to the careers they'd worked so long to achieve. He saw new parents, almost all in their 20s and 30s, huddled close together, openly weeping or staring into space with puffy red eyes. There were family members trying to give them support, not knowing how, not that the extended family would be suffering any less. Police officers and detectives were trying to gather statements, well aware that the families wouldn't know anything pertinent. Some were standing by, notepads in hand, unwilling or unable to proceed with their witnesses. He had known this feeling, once, to be the bystander, watching the aftermath, agonized as much by the inability to help and the lack of knowledge about what he should do as by the tragedy itself. To have it happen again and again, he banished the memories before they could take hold. It was easier to distract himself and think about the work. If there was no work to be done, he would let himself slip into that other state of mind, seeing the world come apart, ways things could fit together. But right now, he would focus on the job. He glanced at the window. Four or five hours ago, these same parents might have been standing outside the window, watching their new baby sleeping. Now there was only a sheet taped up to block the view, marked with what it was by a yellow X of police tape. Keep walking. Something nagged at him as he set his right foot down, like a pebble in his boot, except not. He reached out as if he were trying to move a finger, but the artificial nerves were hooked into his suit and the impulse didn't go anywhere in his body. He felt the air shift as the openings in his mask sealed shut. He sent out another command and the microphone came online. When he spoke, only his ears and the microphone heard his voice. Note to self, prosthetics and right heel feel alien. I should check the treads of my old boots, see if one of my legs was longer than the other. Maybe try to dig up recordings of myself to match my new gait to my old one. Should time adjustments to coincide with the next procedure. Note made, he shut off the microphone and opened the vents. He saw two women embracing one another, eyes red, staring at him as he passed through the last of the gathered crowd. They were hoping for the impossible, willing it, but bringing their child back wasn't in his hands. The best he could manage would be revenge. Or justice. The line between the two had gotten pretty damn thin at times like this. The local sheriff was waiting for him as he approached the waiting room. Defiant? The sheriff asked. She looked small, mid-sixties, gray-haired. He suspected she was someone who gleaned some experience in Boston or Brockton Bay and then retired out to a smaller town in the middle of nowhere. She wouldn't have expected to face a situation like this in her retirement. Nobody would. But she was holding herself together in a way that suggested she had some experience to fall back on. She'd lost officers, and the town was small enough that people she knew would have been among the casualties. But she was all business. Her chin set. Her small, dark eyes, hard with determination. He liked her right away. Yes, ma'am. He shifted his spear to his left hand, extended his right hand to shake hers. Miranda going. Sheriff, no need for any kind of formality here. She sounded like she said something similar on a routine basis. She frowned. I would have a hard time expressing just how much I appreciate your being here. How was he supposed to respond to that? He couldn't think of a response. She was studying him. Her eyes settled on his weapon, the fourteen-foot-long spear. How on earth do you carry that spear indoors? It folds, and it can't contract to be half the length, he said. I see, she said. She shook her head, as if stirring herself from idle thoughts, back to the nightmare. Do you want to start in the nursery? He shook his head. He shook his head. No, I can guess what happened, and I doubt there'll be anything I can use there. Show me the other scenes. Wordlessly, she turned around and led him to the stairwell. He noted the gouges on the walls, two or three inches deep, with blood splatters following each. Plastic had been taped down over each individual mark and splatter. 
Evidence cards were stuck next to each. He could guess the culprit. Jack. Another impulse sent to his hardware, and the spear broke down into three loosely connected sections as they made their way down to the next floor. A practice motion let him catch it under his arm. You have any local parahumans? Three. Nothing notable. Edict and Lisset. A low-rated master and a low-rated shaker. We also have one villainess who occasionally tries to make it in one of the big cities, and then retreats back home when she can't cut it. Calls herself Damsel of Distress. He reconnected his spear as they passed through the door. I know her. Mover and shaker. Storms of uneven, altered gravity, time, and space. Edict and Lisset keep her in check. They manage with our help. Why do you ask? The Slaughterhouse Nine are recruiting. Their numbers are down, and they'll be looking for a quantity of new members more than they'll be looking for quality. At least until they'll be stable enough they can afford to be picky. Once again, they'll replace the weakest recruits with better ones. I don't want to let them get that far. I understand. But why would they want her? Damsel of the Distress. Her lack of control over her power holds her back. I won't say she isn't a problem, but she's never been a priority threat to anyone. She's a heavy hitter. They can give her control, or they can use that lack of control. Let's not forget that they might be looking at Edict and Lisset. I'll need you to send me their files as well, please. Of course. He didn't really need the files. The PRT provided them access to everything except the highest level secured files. He suspected that Dragon would be able to gain access to those files if the need arose. Still, asking the sheriff had let him gauge whether she was really as cooperative as she seemed. And her level of connection to the hometown heroes. There had been no resistance, which was reassuring. She led the way to the area at the front of the ground floor. They stopped at the perimeter of the scene. He could see the path that Hookwolf had traveled. The bodies and body parts that littered the area, each covered by a sheet or squares of cloth. Every officer present was from out of town, and everyone was staying to the edge of the area. There was more evidence than there was ground to tread on. Divine to examine the area. They hit the nursery first, Jack and Siberian moving elsewhere in the building. Your officers got the call, but didn't have enough details to know what they were getting into. They came in through the emergency room here, and Hookwolf was waiting for them. Am I correct? Yes, Sheriff Goring added, staring down at the sheet in front of her. Her composure was slipping, emotion seeping into her posture and expression, softening that hardness. Again, he wasn't sure what to say. He needed her in control, but any reassurance threatened to make things worse. He didn't want to upset her, but everything about this was upsetting. There was no denying that. She would regret it if she broke down in tears in here, and it would be a waste of his time, and he needed to be in pursuit. Tell her it's not her fault, Dragon spoke in his ear. It's not your fault, he told the sheriff. They planned it this way. I would guess that they controlled the information that was reported to your station to keep you in the dark. And then they would have had Hookwolf sitting in the lobby in his human state, indistinguishable from anyone else that was waiting for a turn. That fits with what we know, she replied, looking up at him. They have years of practice in this, and this is what they're doing, 99% of the time. Hit isolated areas, terrorize. Sometimes it gets reported in the media because it's sensationalist, and sometimes it goes unreported back on track. Cut the digression. There was nothing you could have done differently, knowing what you did. He finished, feeling like he was leaving his explanation incomplete. If it were him on the other side of things, he'd want the full picture, but he would take Dragon's advice. You're right, but that doesn't make it much easier. No, he agreed. I don't expect it would. The lens of his bright eye clicked through multiple frequencies and resolutions, until the screen stood out in high detail. The blood shone ultraviolet, even the particles of dust were highlighted. The entire area stood out with fingerprints, footprints, and frost-like patterns where the air currents layered dust over walls and windows. He began to pick his way through the scene, setting his feet down only when there wasn't any evidence to be damaged. You're hunting them, she asked him. Yes. Will you do me a favor? If I can. 
Talk to me. Give me some assurance that some good will come of this. That be able to track them down because of what happened here. And that you'll be able to stop them. He stared at the landscape all around him. All white and gray and the brown red of drying blood. It was washed out. Stark. The magazines and brochures had been covered by artillery spray, and the clothing was hidden beneath sheets. Give it to her straight, Dragon urged him. He was waiting here, he pointed to a chair. The blood and the way the bodies fell. Hookwolf wasn't holding anything back from the moment he made his move. A walking chainsaw massacre. I'm trying to look at how it played out so I can read something into how they're operating and where the priorities are. How? Goring asked. He saved the settings of his lenses and switched to a radiographic ultrasound reading. The world was cast in monochrome now, and he could see the vague shapes of bodies underneath the sheets, light and dark painting a picture of densities rather than light. He closed his mask off so the sheriff wouldn't overhear and he spoke into the microphone. Count the skulls. Twenty-two. Twenty-two bodies, he spoke aloud. In the waiting area alone, it seems like too many for a town of this size, this time of night. We're the only real hospital for this part of the county. We get people from the neighboring towns flying in by ambulance or helicopter. I see. Even so, it's more than I would have guessed. I suspect there was some announcement across the hospital as the attack started. The way people were clustered here, they probably were ordered to stay put and stay calm. Your officers entered and Hookwolf attacks. There's hesitation from the bystanders. People are caught between a perfectly rational self-preservation and the authority of the hospital staff who didn't have the full picture. Don't assign blame, Dragon whispered. The Slaughterhouse Nine are the ones in the wrong ear. He lunges across the waiting area to the doors, cutting off retreat and tearing through anyone in his way. This is new to him. He's used to fighting people who resist. People with powers and law enforcement officers with the technology to fight him. This gives me the impression of a fox in the henhouse. The crowd turns to flee for the hallways, and he cuts them off there, herds them towards the center of the room, and then finishes them off. He could see the pain on the sheriff's face, but she was holding up. And that's useful? Defiant nodded. Hookwolf was largely content what he was doing in Barkham Bay. He viewed himself as a warrior, a general, and there was a degree of honor in what he did. He wasn't honorable, but he followed a code. The person who nominated him for the group, Shatterbird, is no longer a member. So why did he join? Our working assumption was that there were threats on some level. Extortion. But he's shifting focus too quickly, adopting a new mindset. It's possible that Jack Slash convinced him in another way. Or he's under their control. Dragon said, communicating over their personal channel. Or he's being coerced, Deviant said, for the sheriff's benefit. An implant or something that's turned him into a puppet. He looked over his shoulder at the sheriff, but she wasn't even venturing a response. Back to the job. He pointed with his spear, where Hookwolf had been seated. Then, traced the path where the villain had taken. Front door, then one hallway, then the other. A loose sea. People had clustered around the middle of the room, and he'd leaped into the midst of them to finish them off. Defiant's eyes shifted to the front desk. There was blood spattered there, but it was the furthest point from the path that Hookwolf had traveled. It would have been his last destination before he moved elsewhere. Defiant used the lens setting to watch for blood spatter and footprints as he made his way behind the desk. There were more bodies. One was propped up against the wall, and the stains that were soaking through the sheet were more brown than red. He'd had his lower abdomen opened, the last to die. With his spear point, Defiant lifted away the sheet from the man's head. Young, head shaven. A tan collared shirt with a star on the shoulder and a Kevlar vest. His arms and hands were mangled beyond repair. Defiant studied the area, noting the presence of footprints, and then replaced the sheet. His progress out of the area was slow, and not entirely because he was trying to preserve evidence. He needed to think, to draw the entire picture together and confirm what he was saying before he addressed the sheriff. Find anything? she asked. Your deputy went down fighting, he said. Tooth and nail. Her jaw clenched, and she could see her eyes glisten. She stared hard at the wall. He couldn't have won. Not against Hookwolf. 
but I think he gave us what he needed. Did he? The aftermath of the fight suggests that Hookwolf was in control of his actions. What's more, I think Jack Slash is grooming him. The general and the cutthroat, playing off one another, educating each other in respective disciplines, so to speak. Jack's going to want to keep this interplay going, maintaining Hookwolf's interest and keep him from getting restless. What's the nearest town? Prescott. The second nearest? Enfield. Thank you, he said. I'm going to talk to my partner. Join her in paying a visit to Damsel of Distress if she hasn't already wrapped that up. Then we'll be leaving. With luck, we'll be right on their heels. Execute the motherfuckers. I'll damn well try. He extended a hand, and she shook it. He turned to leave, sending nervous impulses to the computer system in his suit, drawing up a map of the hospital and overlaying it with the image he was seeing already on his visor. He made his way to the exit and briskly walked towards the field where he parked the youth suit. Talk to me, Colin. What's the thought process? Hookwolf gutted the deputy and stood by while he died a slow, painful death. Footprints on the other side of the room are probably Jack's. If you look through the feed, his back would have been to the filing cabinet. I see it. Hookwolf doesn't have a reason to inflict a slow, painful death. He's just a puppet under Bonesaw's control. That's my line of thinking. From the looks of it, he was standing there longer than Jack. If Jack moved upstairs, which matches the gouges in the walls in the stairwell, he was leaving Hookwolf there to watch the man die over the course of minutes. The deputy was someone strong, ferocious, a warrior. Which is how Hookwolf identified himself. This wasn't just a killing, but rejoicing in the cruelty of it. The feeling of superiority over the fallen. I think what Jack was trying to instill in Hookwolf challenged him to alter his code to be something darker. I don't like it when you get into their heads like that. We have to be proactive. Predict. Get ahead of them. So we can stop them before they attack the next hospital, the next neighborhood, or school. That means figuring out what they're thinking. I know. I just don't like it. Not with the way Mannequin approached you. Mannequin's dead. And he approached you for a reason. He signaled for the Uther's cabin to open, then made his way inside. It was half the size of a commercial plane, outfitted with basic living quarters and outfitted with long-range weaponry. The moment he was inside, the systems kicked into life. The pilot's chair turning to be in position for him to sit, monitors lighting up. He had only to think, and the images changed, the cursor flying across the screen with a thought to click on icons. You're not responding. Sorry, still getting used to this setup. I feel like a baby, still figuring out how to move with my arms and legs. I hope it's a little more intuitive than that if you're airborne. Exaggeration for effect. I'm like a toddler then. I can walk, but I could fall if I don't pay attention to what I'm doing during the more complicated bits. He settled into the pilot seat, and his senses opened up with the vague, tactile responses from the Uther. He felt it lift into the air, monitors in front of him letting him note Dragon's location. You didn't respond to my question, Colin. I was asking if I need to keep a closer eye on you. I don't think so, he replied. I don't know how you could be closer, but it helps, having you there. I appreciated the tips with the sheriff. I would have fucked that up. Not a problem. Any notice on Damsel? Seems like we're too late. They got her. His heart sank. Got her in the sense that she's dead? Or they got her in the literal sense? The latter. Fuck. One more to contend with. He remembered who he was talking to. Sorry. I swore when I found out. Don't worry. I was thinking Enfield. You? We're on the same page. It's close enough, but not so close it's the next place we'd look. He shifted the Uther into motion and plotted a course for the Nine's next likely destination. He could see Dragon doing the same with her own suit. They wouldn't be doing this for long. They were able to only track the Nine like this because their quarry was unaware. It would get harder, with Jack obfuscating their group's movements, with traps and misdirection. A contest of second-guessing, trying to think more steps ahead. He thought out loud. We should have fought them sooner, in Brockton Bay. We weren't ready on a lot of levels. You hadn't recuperated, and I hadn't had anything to work with the standalone firepower. Better to wait. Confront them with six suits at once. He opened his mouth to respond, then stopped. 
Damn, she said. I was hoping you weren't paying enough attention. I'm always going to listen when you talk. What happened to the other three suits? Melsoline is out of commission until I can build some replacement limbs. Azazel and the Astroth Nidhurg were melted down. He frowned. The Undersiders? And the Travelers. I pulled the remaining suits out of the city. Can't excuse the losses, not with bigger fish to fry. That's irritating. What part? That they get to keep doing what they're doing, or that I didn't mention it? I'm still officially a prisoner. I'm just a prisoner on a manhunt now. If you want to control what info I get, I'll live. I can't tell if you mean that. I can't either. But right this minute, I'm more focused on the fact that the Undersiders and the Travelers could hold their own against a full flight of seven. If they can get that far, couldn't the Slaughterhouse Nine be able to defeat the suits as well? And us with them? It's the AI. Substandard. They follow directions without an issue, but they aren't creative. The AI can't think outside the box. They don't plan or get creative. They just do the tasks they were assigned, sequester, fight, and detain. It's your work. I know you're capable of designing outside the box. I'm working with my hands tied, Colin. There's too many redundancies in my code. Rules against me making AI? They're still there. You gave me some detours, some workarounds, ways to get around them, but I'm still stumbling over them. He tapped his fingers on his armrest, thinking, I'll see what I can do. Please. I don't want to spoil your code. This isn't my field of study. It's not even something I've dabbled in. As a rule, anything I do to change it is going to make it less elegant. In that one department. And I'm legitimately afraid I'll do permanent damage if something runs out of control. I have backups. Weekly. Which means we need to bring you up to speed on the mission here. I'm saying it's dangerous. I like the you right now more than the you of a week ago. That sounds almost romantic. He smiled a little. Saw that. He smiled wider. You're bordering on the obsessive now. I can dial it back. How are the prosthesis? Holding up. Eyes working great. I saw, she replied. He smirked. She sounded legitimately embarrassed as she said, Whoops. Don't worry. I knew you were watching. It's fine. Good to have an extra set of eyes on the scene. Um, the other parts are fine. I made a note to fix my leg. I think it's a little too perfect. Feels uncanny. But I suppose you heard that. I don't listen in on any personal notes. Just like I won't pry into any journals you keep or personal mail. The deal we struck with the PRT is that I would make sure you followed the rules. That's what I'll do. But your thoughts are your own. All right. You don't sound overly convinced either way. I'm not, really. You let me know if you start feeling uncomfortable. I can do that. Listen, there's no use in me getting deep into your code when we're going to land in a mid-hour minutes. I'm going to look at my knees in the meantime, then maybe I'll refresh myself on your code if I have time before we land. All right. He glanced at one monitor, and the windows opened to show images of his leg. He was able to draw the crude shapes that represented the individual devices even when he wasn't looking at the screen. A triangle here, a circle there. Another window opened up with a line connecting it to the triangle. He drew an identical triangle and began filling it with more shapes. By the time he had a fourth sub-window open, he was drawing from previous notes to copy over some schematics of some older work. Seeing where things could go together, everything could fit together. The waste energy of one system could help power another, even on a molecular level. There were always ways to harness the ambient radiation that was being emitted by everything in the known universe. Some infinitesimally small, but it was usable. That energy could be heterodyned or redirected into long loops that were near infinite. Hyper-efficient, dense energy generation that could benefit from being hooked up to more devices. It was the fundamental basis of his work, efficiency. Which suited him well, efficiency, intensity, focus, were all the same thing in a sense. And they were his strengths. The flip side is that they weren't his strengths when they were applied to relationships, or to human relationships. It seemed to be working fine with Dragon so far. Someone else might have bucked at the closeness of their partnership, 
the intimacy of it, her unending presence and watching eye. He understood that she thought faster, and that she didn't sleep, didn't stop. She was fond of him, and she was programmed to emulate people. Maybe she came across as intense at times, but it was simply a poor translation. Normal behavior, overclocked, and given no chance to pause. He would watch for any problems just as she was keeping an eye out for the part of him that had drawn Mannequin's attention. For now, his own obsessiveness, arrogance, and goal-oriented mindset would keep him focused on the Nine. Push other concerns to the periphery of his attention. He could adjust any of Dragon's peculiarities in the meantime. He could even enjoy them. His lips quirked with another smile. She was amusing. Okay, I'm done for now. Want to look it over while I get to the code? Sure. You have eight minutes before you should get your stuff together. He had to make a program just to handle the code. It wasn't working with a fixed structure, but it was instead a torrential waterfall of data, a river of lightning, a trillion eels weaving their way through one another in a singular mask. Deciphering it required that he think an entirely different way, to actually change it with something else entirely. The rules Dragon was obligated to follow were a fundamental part of herself, and everything she remembered filtered through that. He isolated a part of the program and set it to run in a loop so he could study what it was doing. Your design doesn't work, Dragon informed him. Does too. You inserted a nanomachine thorn into your leg, but the power source vents straight into your calf. You've gradually roast your flesh from your bones. Inserting more of the same into my calf, Daisy Chain. More self-alterations? Colin. We've been over this. I was going to suggest we take some time tonight. Play another round of 10 by 10. At the rate you're going, there won't be a point. You're exaggerating. Not by much. She could have responded, but he yelled back. Stayed quiet. No use starting a fight now. Not when they might be fighting the Nine shortly. 10 by 10. The game involves some interplay between him and her android self. Physical contact and rating the sensitivity of the contact on two scales of 10. It had started out as a means of calibrating the various sensations her body experienced and ensuring his own prosthesis weren't causing any damage to his nervous system, but things had progressed to the inevitable, intentional conclusions. Not the obvious conclusion. There was more to be done in refining her body and expanding the capabilities before they could take things that far. Would he be more machine than she was by the time they got there? On the other side of the coin, he had to wonder, could he afford to hold back? They were engaged in a battle of attrition against the Nine. In the grand scheme of things, there were also probably endbringers to consider. He'd gone too far in Brockton Bay, but the fundamental principle was right. They had to be stopped, if it was even possible, and he wouldn't complain if it was him who did the deed. If it was a question of going all out, holding nothing back, showing no compunctions, and finally stopping the abominations, well, he'd do it all over again. He wouldn't trust the Nanothorns to the same extent. They apparently couldn't cut through the entirety of an Endbringer, but he'd do the same thing again. And he'd feel the same regret he did now. You've gone quiet. Thinking. Three minutes before you take that thinking gap off and we have to get battle ready. That's fine. I'm thinking in circles anyway. In the interest of being useful, I'm trying to isolate your higher brain code from the rest. You want to take a minute? Maybe turn your attention to my leg prosthesis again? On it. He began to select the outlier with two distinct strains of code. Think about nothing in particular, he told her. Harder than it sounds. Think white. Or stare off into space. He could see the code shift. He began to gradually narrow down the outliers. Nothing too pertinent. It would help him keep any changes from damaging the most essential parts of her, but nothing too useful. Conversationally, he asked her. The Undersiders are still holding the territory they did then? They kidnapped the director long enough to get her to order the AI to stand down, got away from one altercation, and then used a combination of Telltale's power and the director's knowledge to figure out how they could slow me down knocking out the cell towers. As far as I know, as far as I know, they're in a better position than they were. Damnation. How are you feeling about that? The Undersiders. Psychoanalyzing me? I'm itching to stop then. If you ask me what I'd want to change, I don't know that I could name anything I'd do different. I'd do everything over again, but I would do it better. You wouldn't get caught. 
There's that, he said, sighing. And maybe I was too harsh in my judgment of Skitter. I was angry at her. I was tired. Maybe that led to me labeling her with some malice she didn't have. In retrospect, yes, she made the decisions she did. But she had reasons for doing what she did. In the same way you did. I wouldn't put it like that. Dragon didn't respond. He swore under his breath. Knew she could hear it. They took down our Azazel? He asked, aiming to change the subject. Yes. Fuck, he muttered. It would have been useful to have. Here. He could see a blip in the code. Well beyond the outliers he'd marked out. What were you just thinking? Flight plan, battle strategy, and fixes to the Azazel hardware. I have the black box data. Think back through each of those things. We're going to be at our destination in less than a minute. Please? There was a long pause. Then again, the flare data being altered well outside the boundaries he's noted. He opened up the full stream in the view window, spreading it across every screen in front of him. Keep going, he told her. The cursor flew between seven screens, marking out areas in color to see where the code was changing most radically. It was like the work he did on his own paper, the smallest elements impacting everything else. Like his own power. He leaned back in his seat. What is it? Either Andrew Richter was far better at designing AI than I suspected, or there's something else at play. You have any notes on your code from a few years ago? We just reached Enfield, Colin. I'm only barely wrapping my head around this code as it is. I'm worried I'll lose track, and this will all be gibberish to me if I look away. Notes on your code? How far back? Let's say in intervals of four years. Loading them onto the Uther system. This isn't like you, Colin. Getting distracted? Making the Slaughterhouse-9 a lower priority? Four years ago. I think it's the same. Hard to find flares like that and not think I'm cherry-picking data. Colin, I admit, I'm a little unnerved. Way you're talking, it sounds like Richter put some safeguard in place and I could fall apart at any second. It's not that. Can you load up the earliest archive of data you have? I'll have to clear away one of the other files. Do it. They're useless. They're the same thing as the most recent set. He watched as the flow of data appeared. It was odd how he could look at it and she almost felt younger. Like a musician might read music and hear it in his head. Only, here, it was like looking at a video of his girlfriend as a child. And yet, more constrained. Certainly more advanced than anything else you'd see in existence on the planet. But things flowed. A led to B led to C. He spread through volumes of the data to hunt for a flare. Glanced at the time markers. A year ahead. Two years. No, he couldn't afford to pour through Dragon's entire lifetime. He closed the image and leaned forward and stared at the screen. The recent image of Dragon's code. Caught in a three-second loop in the midst of plotting her design. What is it? You're a tinker. This isn't a revelation, Colin. No. I mean, not just as far as the classification applies to you. You're a parahuman. I don't have the time to hunt for it now, but at some point between now and a few years after your creation, you had a trigger event. How can I be parahuman if I'm not human to begin with? I don't know. I'm not even close to human. I might be trying to emulate one, but it's you cucumbers closer to being human than I am. That doesn't make sense. I don't know either. What does this mean? Yet again, I don't know. But it is now my turn to remind you that we've got to carry on with our mission, see if we can't track down our targets. The four AI suits are close. They'll be here within a minute. Good. But this thing with the data in your nature, it's important. A clue. I'm only mortal. I might not come out of this alive. Don't say that. But it's true. I want to leave nothing to chance, so I'm going to leave a note, just in case the worst happens and we both die somehow. Instructions. To look at the code. To look at the code. The fact that you haven't noticed this yourself suggests that there may be a mental block in place. I don't have a mind to put any mental block inside. I'm data. And the same limitations still apply. Just in case, we're going to make sure someone can look over the code if we don't make it back. Whatever happens, someone's going to page through your memory and get our first hard data on a trigger event. Ideal world, it'll be us. You can't remember it happening? No. 
Well, we'll see just how well that data was erased, or if it even was erased. Could be a block keeping you from accessing a very real memory. With luck, maybe a bit of a loophole, like the one I created with your ability to create child AI, we can unlock that memory, decrypt it, or find a snapshot of you as it's in progress. To what ends? It was a good question. It took him a moment to conceptualize it into a complete thought. Since the day I got my powers, I've seen myself as a soldier in a great war. Good against evil, order against chaos, mankind against the lights of the Slaughterhouse Nine and the Endbringers. It's a war on every front. And sometimes, that's called for ugly choices. When we talked about unlocking the restrictions in your code, breaking down the barriers Andrew Richter was so careful to put in place, we talked about the idea that you and I could work together to give our side the upper hand in sheer firepower. And I think we can with a little more time, a little more work. With this, this snapshot, this recording of a trigger event in progress, maybe we can get the upper hand in knowledge, too. I know what you're thinking. Reproducing trigger events, deciphering, or even controlling the source of powers. This is the type of radical thinking I'm supposed to rein in while I'm working with you. Are you saying I'm wrong? That we shouldn't investigate? No, we should. I'm worried about the can of worms it opens up, but we should. I don't see why you're so reluctant. He was already typing up the note to check the code, marking out the dates and times to investigate, the things to look out for. It was painfully abstract, but the right thinker or genius could find it. He opened up the channels and deposited the files on the primary PRT server. His computer froze. Dragon. Do you trust me? Yes. The speakers produced the sound of a sigh. We won't put the note on anything the PRT can get at. Why? He asked. That, she said, is a long story where I'm asking you to trust me and leave this for later discussion. Our priority right at this moment is the Slaughterhouse Nine. I doubt we'll stop them outright, but we'll try. Six powered suits in all. I can't disobey the directive, and I can't let you lose track of the emission. Or you'll never get back on it. I'll explain this after. You said you couldn't put the files on anything the PRT can get at? I'm almost certain they already know whatever we stand to find out. I suppose it's unavoidable, given how close we are on so many levels. But you're getting drawn into another fight, with an enemy on the same level as the Nine, or even the Endbringers. An enemy I can't afford to fight face to face. Who? I'm obligated to follow the laws of the land, to obey the local government, no matter who they are. When we're done here, whether we stop the Nine outright, see them escape yet again, or lose the fight, you should ask me about Cauldron.